and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Hey, listen, I want to go on a journey today. Um, We've been talking about the church and different aspects of the church. We've talked about the fear of the Lord. We talked about a little bit about revival last week, what revival culture looks like. And today I want to talk about the soil of our hearts. Like as God's people, what should be the response, the action of our hearts? And how do we respond and interact with the word of the Lord? How many of you know this is important? Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 13. And it's a very, it's a very important. It's also in Mark 4, I believe. But he describes this parable and he says this. If you don't understand this parable, how would you ever understand all the rest of them? Meaning like, listen, in order for us to understand the ways of the kingdom, how many of you know, like 33% of Jesus' teaching was done in parables. That's how he interacted with people. He would tell stories that they would understand, but the story would be unto a kingdom revelation. Are you with me? The teaching of Jesus, whether it was talking about a mustard seed, or it was talking about sowing, giving, or following him, whatever it was, it was in the context of his followers understanding what the kingdom life should look like. And so what we're going to talk about today is super important because he says this, if you don't understand this parable, there's no way you're going to understand all the rest of them. Because what he's talking about in this parable is stewardship of heart. It's stewardship of his words. It's becoming hearers of God's word and doers of God's word. He talks about that in James, right? He prays not only that we would be hearers of the word of God, but we would be doers of the word. Meaning this, if you were to really hear the word, that that hearing should lead us into doing. Like the, 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 the reception of that word landing in our heart should produce something. So I want to dialogue about this today because I believe all of this, the Lord is looking for a people to release words to. And he'll start off with who he is before what he wants you to do. You see, today we spent an hour singing about the holiness of the Lord. We remember what you've done and we thank you for what you've done. All of these things because we have to be discipled in the knowledge of God. This is, this is, this is pinnacle for us today. And all that's going on in the world and all of the turmoil, and all of the confusion, and all of the fear, and all of the things that are being thrown at us, the knowledge of God is going to be supreme. Who God is, and who we are in light of that, is going to be everything. It's the difference between those of you who stood in that moment of intercession, and understood, my words right now, they matter. You felt it in the room. There's, there's, There's something that rises up on the inside of you, not just because of who God is, but also you understanding who you are in light of Him. It's, it's, it's why He is enthroned upon the praises of His people. Because praise has to do with who God is. You can properly enter into praise when you understand the knowledge of who He is. We've been talking about this for weeks. Who God is, not just that He provides, but that He is provider. Not just that He heals, but that He is healer. Not just that He delivers, but He is deliverer. And these revelations of who he is, when they are properly ascribed to a people and they are given value, he rests upon that people. He's looking for a people who understand not just his acts, but his ways. The ways, that's why we can say, we're not just going to pray for Ukraine, for for there to be a mighty in battle, but we're going to believe that God is rich in mercy for those that are bound by confusion. And they're bound by oppression. It's all spiritual. You understand, it's all spiritual. Everything that's going on in the world right now, it's all spiritual. And us as a blessed people, whether you believe it or not, we are living in a blessed nation. 
I don't care how, what, how you think our nation is positioned or who's in power. Go, go 90 miles down Miami and, and you'll land in Cuba and you'll figure out you are a blessed people. And the blessed people are required to act. They're required to steward their blessedness. And so it positions us in these moments of intercession to stand in the gap. So that we can be entrusted with more. Isn't this what we're after? Not just more material. Some of you hear more and you're thinking about a bigger house or more social status. The more of God is Him entrusting you with Him. When we talk about having more of God, having more, it's not in the context of receiving more material things. Those things will fade away. It's talking about receiving something eternal. Something that cannot be taken away. Something that cannot be threatened. There's so much talk about the end. Oh, there's the end and there's so much happening in the world. How many of you know we need to realize that the end is just the beginning? You can't threaten a follower of Jesus with death. You cannot, I need you to understand this. You cannot threaten me with heaven. A people who walk like that are scary. Those are a scary people because we're not married to possessions. We're not, we're not, we're not subject to a government. You can't take my joy because it wasn't given to me by the world. They are a solidified people who know who they are. But the issue we have going on, I believe, is found in Hebrews 5. So I want to read Hebrews 5, and then I'm going to, read, I'm going to jump us to Matthew 13, and we're going to live there for a second. But I want to read this to you because I believe it's important for today. In Hebrews 5, you see them talking, and they're talking about the high priest, the perfect high priest. And then in verse 11, it says this, Concerning this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull. I want you to hear this. He's addressing a people who had received, they had revival happen. But somewhere along the line, they had become dull and sluggish in your spiritual what? Hearing. They had become dull in their hearing. I don't think it's going to help. Praise the Lord. Is this better? All right. Yeah, it's driving me crazy. Now I can really preach. I was just halfway preaching. <laughs> concerning this we have much to say it is hard to explain since you have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing and you have been disinclined to listen so what's the issue that's going on they've become dull and they've become disinterested with what's being spoken by God you see this verse 12 for though by this time you ought to be teachers because of the time you had to learn these truths, you actually need someone to teach you again in the elementary principles of God from the beginning, you have to be continually in need of milk and not of food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives in milk is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the words of righteousness. He is a spiritual infant. But solid food, say solid food. Solid food, solid food is for the spiritually mature, whose senses are trained by the practice to distinguish what is morally good and what is evil. He's addressing the people who say, listen. We've spent so much time with you now, you should be teaching, yet we're still talking about the elementary things. Like we're still going around and about, about the same old, how do I deal with sin and overcome sin? The same old things about how do you make me feel better? How can I feel more comfortable? How many of you know, like there's, there's a time for milk. Nobody's rebuking a baby when it comes out of a womb and you give it milk. You're like, oh baby, you should be receiving solid food. Because that baby is in a state of life where milk is required. Milk is good. It comforts. It nurtures. It brings about nutrition. 
in the infant stages in life. But how many of you know if my seven-year-old came and we went to a restaurant and we said, he's not going to eat, he's just going to have milk? You would think that's really weird. He's seven, bro. Buy him some chicken tenders. <laughs> you see the dislike? That, that's what he's talking about. Like there's a people who he's wanting to entrust. And so in moving us from milk to meat, while, while milk it nourishes and comforts, meat's different. It's weighty. <laughs> it goes through the digestive system differently. It's, it's uncomfortable sometimes. In the context of spirituality, it cuts. It provokes. It stirs. It confronts. And the problem that we have that's going on for us, even as we talk about Matthew 13, is we've been stuck with spiritual milk. We're talking about the elementary things over and over and over and over. And we're going around mountains and mountains. And God is just looking for people who say, can we just move on to the next thing? Listen, we don't ever graduate from the person of Jesus. Moving on to the next thing does not mean we remove the message of Jesus. It's central. It's everything. All roads lead to Jesus. But what it means for us is there's a sense of responsibility. That when something's happening on the other side of the world, we're going to stop for a moment and we're going to speak into that. Because it matters. Because it matters to the Lord and it matters to us. So I want to read to you one more scripture in James. Because... I have to. James 1, he's speaking. And in verse 22, I want to read this to you. I think it's 22. So get rid, verse 21. So get rid, say rid. Man, this is what the Lord's been dealing with us on the past few weeks. It's not that we're just trying to call things out and we're trying to elicit a response. God's dealing with his people. If you are his people, he's dealing with us. And this is mercy. This is beautiful. That he would love us so much to deal with us in places in our life where we, have love, where we, where we are lukewarm and loveless. So get rid of all uncleanliness and all that remains of wickedness. With a humble spirit, what? Receive the word of God, which is implanted. It's actually rooted in your heart, which is able to what? To save your souls. Another translation would say it would be able to make your soul prosper. So he's saying, listen, this is the season we're in, church. Hear me. If you've not listened to the last 15 minutes, hear me. He's calling us to deal with everything that's making us unclean. Do not give yourself to things that defile you. Don't give your ears. Don't give your sight. Don't give your attention. That's why I could only watch so much news. It's not about being ignorant to what's going on. It's I want to hear heaven's perspective before I hear CNN's. I got to know, I got to know how to pray with heaven's agenda, not the world's. I got to know how he wants me to position myself. I can't, I can't feed myself something that's going to cause me to slip into hopelessness. It's a trap. Because as children, we are seated in the heavenly places with him. And how many of you know, he's still sitting on the throne. He has not lost power and authority. He's not trembling. He is perfectly in control of everything that's going on. What he needs is for us to get into alignment. Now, how do we get into alignment? I'm so glad you asked. I knew that's what you were asking. I believe the way that we get into alignment is why Jesus says this parable hinges all the other parables hinge on this. That we would learn how to receive seed and recognize that not all seed that falls on all kinds of ground produces fruit. Yeah. Come on. 
I want to take us to Matthew 13, and let's just, you open up your Bibles, your phones. I'm going to give you a second. I want you to walk it out. I want you to see it. Matthew 13, Jesus is speaking a parable again, and it's the parable of the sower. Parable of the seed. So it says, Jesus went out. He was sitting beside the sea. Large crowds gathered. And then he begins speaking in verse 3. So he told them many things, and he said, listen carefully. A sower went out to sow seed in the field. As he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not, they did not have much soil, and at once they sprang up, but they had no what? Depth. They had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched because they had no roots. They withered away. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up, and they choked them out. Other seed fell on good soil. Say, this is me. This is me. Let's try it again prophetically. Just say, this is me. me. Your good soil. And yielded grain. Some a hundred times, as, as was sown. Some sixty times as much, and some thirty times. He who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. He who has ears to hear, let him what? Hear. And what? And, and heed. Let him heed and let him hear. I want you to see this. This is how he starts the parable. For those of you that have ears, if the people in the congregation, they're like, well, that would be all of us. Bro, you know, it's one of these. Let him who has ears, well, that's me, I have ears. But he's talking to us in a spiritual sense. Those of you that have the ability to spiritually discern what I'm saying, let him have ears to hear. Not just hear, but heed. To heed would be to stop, take account, to recognize what's being said. So the disciples are speaking to him like, hey, bro, can you just give us an explanation? Because I don't understand the whole seed thing. I understand what you're saying things, but like, why do you teach in parables? And then he says something to me that is so significant. I want to read it to you. This is the reason I speak to the crowds in parables, because while having the power of seeing, they do not see. And while having the power of hearing, they do not hear. And they do not understand or grasp. So he's saying, I want you to see this. They all had the ability to hear, to see. And to heed, but they just chose not to. I want to, I want to say this to you because I want to dismantle off of you this thing where you're like, well, I just don't see, I just don't hear, and I can't grasp. It's just a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. You see, you hear, you grasp. It all comes down to, are you willing? It's not a matter of, can I hear or can you not hear? It may just be there's too much noise going on for you to hear what he's saying. It may not, it's not a matter of can I see, can I not see. It's a matter of what are you going to give your eyes to. It's not will I heed, do I have the grace to heed. He says he gives you the Holy Spirit which empowers you to do all things. It's a matter of are you going to yield to the Holy Spirit. And so he says to them, this, in this phrase, says, I have given you the, the, the ability to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. As his, as his followers... This is your inheritance. Your inheritance as a son and a daughter of the king is to understand the mysteries of his kingdom. Let's say that. The mysteries of the kingdom are mine. Let's say it again. The mysteries of the kingdom are mine. This is important for us because this is what's going to position us as the darkness grows darker for us to be light and shine brighter. To understand that as we walk it out, it doesn't matter if our nation goes to war or what happens. We're positioning ourselves to be seated with Him and walk this out in power. 
As things grow darker, churches will get fuller. And as churches get fuller, the wheat and the tear will be separated. And at the end of the fullness of time, we will know who was really standing with Christ. But it's all going to be dictated by this. The soil of your heart. So Jesus, he gives them explanation. He's explaining to them. Let's go to 18. Verse 18, he says, Listen to them the meaning of the parable of the sower. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand and grasp it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sowed by the roadside. So let's just stop real quick. What were the four different seeds? There was seed that was on the footpath, the wayside, and that seed was trampled on, right? It was trampled. It was hard ground. It could not receive seed. Are you with me? Like the seed landed in a place where it did not have the ability to grow because it was hard. There was another seed that landed on rocky, shallow ground. The seed landed, it sprouted, it looked like life. But because its roots did not grow deep, when the sun came out and something, something external affected it, it died and it withered. The rocky path, and there was another one that grew among the thorns. And what happens? The things that were growing around it choked out the life. And then there was that that landed on fertile ground, which is you. So he begins to describe, I just wanted to give you context. The seed was sown on the rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy. You hear the word of the Lord? Yes, that sounds good. I like that. Like I want to walk in power and authority and grace. I want all God has for me. You receive it with joy, yet it has no substantial root in himself. But it's only temporary. And what happens when the pressure or persecution comes because of what? Are you alive? He's, he's giving us a key that as the word of the Lord comes, it will come with persecution and with pressure. I'm going to say it to this side because this side didn't want to hear it. As the word of the Lord comes, it will come with persecution and with pressure. Now, if you don't understand that, you're going to receive the word of the Lord and pressure will come and you will become offended. Well, God, you spoke. Why are things hard? Because he told us it would be. When the word comes, there's pressure, there's persecution, there's misunderstanding, there's offenses. And if you don't have deep roots, if your roots aren't growing deep, relationally, in God's word, in his spirit, in obedience, in reverence, in fear of the Lord, you name it. How many of you know root, a root system doesn't just grow in one direction? Many times we're so singularly focused on one thing. As the seed and the word of the Lord comes to you, it has to grow in grace, in mercy, in love, in righteousness, in holiness. It has to grow. And it has to grow deep. Because when persecution and when pressures comes, that is going to be what allows you to abide, to remain. Let's keep reading. And the one who seen was thrown among the thorns, that is the one who hears the word, but worries distractions of the world and deceitfulness the superficial pleasures in the light of riches choke the word and it yields no fruit you see this so the first word the first seed that lands it lands on hard ground it would be like me having seed right now throwing it on the stage coming back a week later being upset because there's no fruit you'd be like bro that's 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 madness because this stage doesn't have the ability to yield fruit 
In our context, it would be like us coming every single week, but not responding to the word of the Lord to soften our hearts. The word goes forward, but your heart doesn't have the ability to yield the fruit that the seed is giving. I must have said it too fast. The response for us to come into repentance and to receive, and when we say things like, Lord, soften our hearts, it's not because we want to be a crying, blubbering mess. It's not even because we get moved by the response. The response is great, but it's all unto you being able to receive God's seed in your heart. His word is looking for a place to land. Are you alive? It's looking for a place to land, to take root and to grow. And so there's hard ground, then there's, there's shallow ground. It would be us living this superficial Christianity. How are you, bro? I'm blessed and highly favored. My life's falling apart and it sucks, but here I am. <laughs> Doing great. I'm dead to sin, but I sin every night. It's a shallow. It's a shallow. And like, listen, there's grace. Say there's grace. grace. Like shame off of you. No, shame off of you. What I want us to do is to, to find ourselves, like let's move out of this shallow place where when pressures come, we're moved, and let's root ourselves in God's system, His financial system, His economic system, His system of government and leadership, how we are to follow and steward our children. It's a different kingdom. I get around people like, well, I just don't want to live that way. That's religion. I've been freed from that. And then they're like, I just don't know why my life is falling apart. They can't connect. I'm free from that. I don't want to, that's religion. Then like six months later, my life's falling apart. My kids don't want to come to church and I just don't get it. We live the fruit of what we've sown. If I, if I right now had watermelon seed and I threw it on the ground and I came back and there was cantaloupe, that would be strange. It'd be strange. Now, God can do whatever He wants, but He chooses to work within our obedience. So if I'm going to throw down fear, if I'm going to sow fear and anxiety, what am I going to reap? Is it going to be joy and peace? So therefore, it's not religion for me to say, I'm not going to watch the news, or I'm not going to watch things that have perversion. I'm protecting my field. I just want, I just want what's growing in my field. To, to produce righteousness, holiness. I want to have oil. I want to find myself when I'm confronted with impossible situations to know that I'm right before the Lord. That I can walk into that situation and say, God is here and He will move on your behalf. How many of you know that's hard to, to, to come in on a... I'm not going to say that. No, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to do it, but you're going to get me in trouble. So, so thorny ground, I want to talk about this real quick, and I want to land here for a minute because he describes multiple things that are found within the thorny ground, and I believe it's strategic that he would leave this for last because the reality is 90% of the world is dealing with a hard heart. The Bible describes the people like they're blind, but they don't know they're blind, they're deaf, but they don't know they're not hearing, right? Until the light of God's face shines upon them, then they're awakened, and then the seed could find ground. And yet even in that, he's still beckoning us. You can't stop there because if you stop there, you're going to find yourself in shallow ground. It'd be like me going as a 32-year-old to the beach and having a good old time, but I'm only in one foot of water. Like, that's weird, bro. 
Why is it weird? Because there's so much ocean to explore. Why are you hanging out in the kiddie pool? So we've got to move beyond that. But he says, as you move beyond that, I want you to understand that as good things grow, there are going to be things that are going to try to compromise what's growing. Thorns, weeds. So he describes these like this. The first thing he talks about is the care of the world. The cares of the world come in. When you, when you break down what this really means, the care of the world, it means a divided mind. A di it could also mean a divided heart. It's like he's saying, it's not just that things are going on around you. It's, it's, it's a division. Like your heart is divided. And you know what's crazy? The Bible says this. I don't care what you think about it. It's what it says. Somebody who's a friend of the world is an enemy of God. I read that this week. I'm like, that's, whoa. I don't think that means those who have friends who are in the world, those who have a loving, affectionate relationship with the things of the world. <laughs> well, that's scary. I don't want to be an enemy. You want to be an enemy of God? I don't think so. That's a bad day, bro. The cares of the world has to do with the divided heart. It's giving a portion of your heart to God and giving another portion of your heart to all the things going on around you. What does this do? A divided heart. How many of you know God wants to be only? Say only. He's a jealous, the Bible describes him as a jealous lover. He will have, like, he's not going to play second fiddle to anyone. There's grace, and he allows us, and he's loving and patient. He really is. He really, really is. He's so loving and patient. But at the end of the day, it, it's like he wants to be only. He's not interested. When he comes back, all of this is going to end. There's going to be war, and there's going to be lots of things. Read Revelation. But it's all going to end in a wedding. Yes. That's how it's going to end. It's a wedding. And at that wedding, he's looking for a bride. That's you. That's you. He's looking for a bride. But, but could you imagine getting married to someone, standing at the altar, but wondering, do I really want to marry this person? It doesn't work. The bridegroom would be standing, and he'd be waiting. And the bride would come, and the cry of the bride is, I want only you. It's the cry of the bride. I've tried everything else, I've tasted, but you are the one. Come on, if you're married, hopefully when you walk down that aisle, it was because you made a decision. I want to give my love, my affection, and my everything to that one person. And my decision to love and honor that one person has removed every other decision. It changes how we respond. Because I don't have options. I don't just walk up to a woman and say, no. No, no, we don't live reactively because we are protected by our yes. It's our yes for him that protects us. And as the word of the Lord grows, we, we have an undivided heart. Oh, let's just pray. Put your hand on your heart. Father, we ask right now that you would give us an undivided heart. That you would give us grace, God, to see areas within us, God, that are divided, that are going in different directions, God. Help us. Give us grace. 
Give us grace. We want, to, we want you to be only. You to be only. In Jesus' name. You know, I, I was, uh, I heard a story of a man. Um, he lost, he had lost an arm. He was an athlete. And as he lost an arm, because he was an athlete, he looked for a sport to play. And the nature, he just landed playing handball. And he was playing handball, but he had one hand. But he began to advance through the different levels. Like he went through a regional, a state level. I think he even competed at the national level. And it was handball. You would just hit the ball with your hand. That's why it's called handball. And there was a guy on the other side, and they would be able to use both hands. And then the person asked the, the man with one hand, why do you think you're able to succeed? Like what, what do you think is working for you? He goes, that's easy. Why the other guy's trying to decide if he's going to hit with his left hand or his right hand, I've already decided. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. You see, do you see the power of a person who's already predetermined in which direction he's going to go? It's, it's an undivided heart. The second thing he talks about is the wealth, the lure of wealth. We don't deal with this in this room. We'll talk about the people that I talk to when I travel. The lure of wealth, what does it do? It puffs us up. Listen, wealth has a way of giving you false security. People sometimes ask, hey, hey uh, um, how much money is enough money? How much is too much? That's the question we like to ask in America. You don't ask those kind of questions in third world countries because nobody's got enough for anything. But in this country where there's prosperity and we're blessed, how much is enough money before you lose? I would say this. As much money as it costs for you to lose trust. For some of you in this room, it would be like $5,000 maybe. Having $5,000 on your account, there's, <laughs> should I say it? There are some people that they will remain broke the rest of their life, not because God doesn't want to bless them. It's the only way they remain dependent. The moment they get X amount of dollars in their bank account, they forget about the Lord. And then all of a sudden they're broke and they're like, God, I need you. And God's like, I know. And they're on this perpetual cycle. But the, but the lure of wealth in the context of thorns, it has, the, it has a way of giving you a false security. Of enticing you with social status and sitting at tables that the Lord's not sitting at. He's not sitting at them. But because they're so-and-so and they're important and they got X amount of money, and maybe even we could use their resources to fill our God mission. So we'll sit at the table and we'll allow them to entice us instead of trusting the Lord. Oh, it's quiet. This must be good. Is it good, Jeff? The lure of wealth it has a way of thinking that we have some sort of image. What, what is image? What, let's think about this. Let's have a think. What is image? Image is a false sense of security that is not deposited to you by God because you are made in His image. So any image that has been imposed upon you because you have X amount of dollars or you wear some kind of clothes or drive some kind of car, it is false security. And the Bible talks about a people who they built a house, but when the storm comes, because it is built on a what? Sand, which would be a faulty foundation, it would crumble. 
Therefore, it would be the reason why when things get difficult in your life, you spiral. Got to check the foundation. It's so quiet. I love it. So, so, so how much money, again, is too much money? I want you to understand this is not a money issue. It's a trust issue. True intimacy has nothing to do with sex or, or X, Y, Z. True intimacy has to do with information. I knew that I was truly falling in love with my wife when I started to share things with her that I wouldn't share with anybody else. Now, now I want you to understand that the lure of wealth, giving your heart to things, the Bible doesn't, have, the Bible doesn't even speak about, it, we talk about the love of money being evil. It's not the love of money, it's the love of mammon. It, it's mammon, it's a spirit that is enticing us. It's calling us. <laughs> Anytime you talk about this in American church, people glaze over. He wants me to be poor. I knew it. It's a spirit that is enticing us. And what it does is it chokes. It chokes the faith out of us. I don't know why we work this way. It's not God. But some of the, most, some of the areas in my life where I grew the most in the area of faith is when I went to the mission field and I had to raise money and I didn't have the money to get there. There was just something about being in a position where I had to have God come through where I learned a lot about Gio and I learned a lot about him. Where it's like you've got to pay $30,000 to go somewhere for three months, you sell everything and you go. There's something about that period of time when you've got like six days to raise $7,000 where you're like, God, I need you. Now, if you flip that, being a people who, who lack r- really nothing, even when we come into these rooms, we're like, let's be hungry for God. And in different countries, hunger would mean different things. Because for me, if I'm hungry, it's just inconvenience. I'm not hungry because I don't have. I'm hungry because I haven't made my way to Taco Bell. It's not because I don't have the ability. It's because I haven't made the time to go to the restaurant. Now, in a third world country, you would say, are you hungry for God? They would equate hunger to desperation. It's a desperation. It's, it's a, oh, I've got to have that. The lure of wealth has a way of choking this out of us. I hope you see this. And the, and the last thing he talks about is this. A desire and a passion for other things. It's like Jesus goes and all the other stuff. <laughs> Because how many of you know that within us, there are, not every desire within us comes from God? Are you awake? Not every desire within us comes from God. Therefore, that's why we must stay submitted and humble before Him. And we must allow Him to disciple us in His ways. So many of us, man, we're trying to, to disciple God in our ways. You don't think so? But when we really start to evaluate like our prayer lives, it becomes more about us telling God what we want than hearing what He wants. It becomes us sharing. We do 45 minutes of talking and 5 minutes of listening. Yet the Bible says this, be still. And what happens when you're still? Be still and know that I am God. Therefore, we can understand, we can infer from this, that as there is stillness, there is knowing. Do you see this? As there is stillness, there is knowing. 
that we would give ourselves, not, not to every passion or desire, but we would go back to the secret place and we say, God, I'm going to fight for this time of you tenderizing my heart and allowing me to become, to become the person you've called me to be. So listen, nothing is more, is more sustaining and life-giving than hearing God's voice. Nothing. If you haven't heard anything, nothing is more life-giving or sustaining than hearing His voice. God is longing for our people to be intimate with Him. He's longing for this. For those of you that have been in this room, and you feel like you're carrying all of these promises. You've heard words from God, but you're like, nothing's happening. I would encourage you, check the soil of your heart. There's nothing you can do besides submit to Him and allow Him to run the till of heaven to break the fallow ground. Oh, that sounds so Christian. There's nothing you can do besides come to Him and say, God, I need your help. There's something in me that needs help from you. There's something in me that needs you to come and break all of the pieces that have been disappointed and offended and hurt. And you come to him and as you respond to him, he does something supernaturally in your heart that you can never do on your own. You can read every Joel Osteen book, Michael Todd book, XYZ book. It will never do what happens when you come to the altar and you submit yourself to him. Like, well, bro, if God wants to do it, he can do it right here. He can. But bro, you are the nine-year-old still drinking milk. Some of the things we're asking God for, it's going to require a passionate pursuit of Him. And for many people, it's offensive. If you really study the life of Jesus, what you will continually see is there's something about passionate pursuit that offends those who are not. There's something about a wholehearted people who have received the word of the Lord. I can picture it, man, when Jesus walked up to the fishermen and he says, follow me, and they drop their nets. They're like, never again. And even when they go back and they pick them back up, Jesus meets them. You remember how they dropped their nets and they followed him, but the discouragement of Jesus being God led them right back to that thing. And God's mercy, Jesus comes back and he meets them on the shore. Because he's looking for a people to be reminded. Remember what you said to me at the altar in 1994? Remember that moment where, you, where I was gripped? What's happened? Was it the cares of life? The offenses? I read something this week that struck me. And Proverbs says that, that we are tested by the praises of man. In a world where everybody wants to be seen and known. Do you see how great I am? Look at how great I am. Now tell me. If you don't tell me, you're not really for me. In that kind of a world, we become the center and the God of it. <laughs> Let's go for all of it. But there's something about a people who don't just know Jesus as teacher, but know him as master. How does a man 
who walked with Jesus for three plus years betray him. They saw, they saw the water and the wine. They saw Lazarus. Bro, what didn't they see? The fish multiplied. What didn't the eyes, be blind eyes being healed? The lame began to, I mean, what didn't they see? Yet in the midst of that, there was a person who sold Jesus for what, 30 pieces of silver? And when you begin to do a study of the life of Judas, you begin to see that Judas never called Jesus master, only rabbi. It was only teacher. Meaning there's only so far information can get you. Jesus, help us. There is, you can only go so far by receiving information. If that thing doesn't go from your head to your heart. There are some of us in a room this size with hundreds of people. We're carrying prophetic destiny. There is something, listen to me. Just, I want you to listen to me. There is something inside of you, you, that the world needs. There's something inside of you that the world needs. And all of hell's purposes is trying to stop you from becoming that person the world needs. It's why those things pop up on your screen at night. It's why those people say the things they do to you. It's why sometimes you're overlooked. I don't know what position you're in, but all of hell's purposes are after your destiny. Yet in the midst of that, we have the master sower who is walking the fields of our heart and he's throwing out seed. Eh, I believe it's every day. I pray almost every day. I'm like, God, help me to receive what you want to say to me today. And he's throwing out seed and it's the same sower and it's the same seed which means the only variable that's left is the soil of our hearts. Just sail off for a moment. Just stop. The king of glory, the king of glory has things proposed for you that he wants to do through you that no demon in hell could ever stop. Look at me. No demon in hell could ever stop. There are things that I have proposed in my life. My children will never struggle by God's grace with the things I struggled with. Because we've waged war against those things that we've broken generational curses over them. But it takes us standing in Christ, understanding who we are to walk in authority and be able to speak to demonic principalities when they come. Because they will come. Let's not be stupid and think that the enemy is never going to try to bring things to us, to derail us. The more powerful truth is that we have God who is sustainer. And that when things happen that begin to make our heart hard, we have a master gardener that comes and he prepares the soil again and again and again and again. It all, it all boils down to are you willing? Can I just, I just want to say one more thing. I believe the greatest requirement from God's people 
in these next few years, 24 months. I'm not going to stand up here like a prophet and say I know what's coming, but I do know this, it's going to require great humility. Listen to me, remember this day. What God is taking us into as a people, I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to, we are about to step into the greatest days in the kingdom. We bought more chairs because we believe that there's going to be multiple services packed in this building. Because as the days grow darker, there has to be a light, and why not us? Why not us? But as, as the days come, it's going to require a great humility, which is unto a response to his lordship. To his purposes and not just your purposes. To stop thinking that we know everything. You know what I've learned? Sometimes the people who think they know the most know the least. It's like the people who talk the most rarely ever say anything. It's going to require a great humility to come under. I don't think we fully understand this yet. I'm saying me included. I don't know that we yet fully understand what it means for us to come under the leadership of Jesus completely. Like we're, we're, we're constantly aware of his leading, of his mercy, of his grace that will empower us to be able to walk like the disciples did. You know, when the disciples, hey Ben, you can come up, please. When the disciples came back to Jesus after being sent out, their response was this. It, they were overwhelmed by the power of the kingdom on the inside of them. Now many of our circles today, when we gather around, it has to do with what didn't get accomplished and what did get accomplished. But I believe that's going to, as, as listen, oh, I hope you hear this. As we walk in humility, in poorness of spirit, God is going to empower us as a people to step back into that day. Where it was like, man, that person couldn't walk, but look, they're walking now. We're seeing it in here, week by week, people walking in with depression and being demonized and God delivering them. This is first fruits. Do you believe me? This is first fruits of what God wants to do. And there are some of you here right now, I just want to say this, and I hope for those of you that need it, it lands in your heart, we need you. We, we need you. I know it's easy to walk in here on a Sunday morning and it seems like everything's going and it's put together. We need you. Because we're not building today for today. We're building today for 10 years from now. We believe that people from this building, as long as this building lasts us, will send people to the nations. We believe that people will be raised up and launched out. We believe, I received the prophetic word Corey gave when he said there will be hundreds of young Gen Z in this building and we will disciple them. How many of you agree with that word? Good, I only need a few. That's good. But that word, we can, we can hear it, we can applaud it, we can amen it, but it has to land in a fertile heart. It has to find a resting place for it to grow. 
So that way when that young little 15-year-old kid walks in the building and he starts saying all the wrong words and he smells like cigarettes and he stinks, you have something from heaven to give to him. When the young girls come and they're dealing with the different things that they deal with and the pressures of life, you can mother and father in a way that really brings about life change and not just give them the verse of the day and walk away. So here's what I want to do. Can we stand? I'm going to leave you with one last statement. It's this. The power of prayer is not in convincing God of my agenda, but receiving His agenda. And I just want to kind of end this morning. We're going to pray for a few different things. But I want to ask as a spiritual family, how many of you are part of this spiritual family? Good. I want you as a spiritual family, ask God to release His agenda to us. But I want you to, to find yourself in your heart where you truly say, I'm going to do something about that agenda. find the grace to carry that thing out so I'm going to pray for us and we're going to wait for just a moment here Jesus we ask you Lord that you that you would give grace in this moment for those of us God that, that are dealing with various places of hardness of heart of difficulties pray right now, God, that you, that you, Holy Spirit, would do the work. Father, we silence every voice of the accuser right now that would distract, bring confusion. We pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. eyes to see, hearts to receive. situations here's what I've learned nobody chooses hardness of heart some most of the time it has to do with things that have happened that have caused us to close off maybe for some of us we need to respond and yield to letting our roots grow deeper 
the one I feel like the Lord really wants to deal with today is people who have given their hearts to the cares of life. The lure of wealth, the, de the desire, the passion for many things. I would beckon you today, if that's you, to divorce yourself from that today. You don't have to grovel, you don't have to cry, but you do have to respond. There is a response. So I'm going to pray one more quick prayer and then I'm going to ask that that's you to just make your way for the altars and just spend a moment with the Lord and let prophetic company pray and prophesy over us this morning. Amen. Father, I pray right now for all of those that need to respond, for you to tenderize the soil, that you would give them courage, give them courage give them courage to step out and receive newness. Speak to us, Lord. We're not going to be subject to the things of the world, but we want to respond to your leadership. So if that's you, just begin to make your way now around the altar. We want to pray for you.
this morning. I just, it's going to take some humility, but I feel the Lord is wanting to uproot some things from our hearts. Some of the things that I was um, praying into was um, just jealousy, offense, bitterness, and unforgiveness. wants to uproot this morning so if you would be so humble this morning we want to pray with you if you have one of those four things I know for about a year I struggled with extreme jealousy last year extreme and the word of the Lord James 3 came to me that where there's jealousy and strife there's torment and the door is open to the demonic the moment that I stepped in and said you have no power here and I walked out of that jealousy freedom came to my mind and I know that in a room this size I'm not the only person who has walked in jealousy unforgiveness bitterness strife and offense so Jesus right now gardener uproot everything everything by the very root God uproot everything that doesn't belong Lord so that freedom may come to your people this morning I just want to ask that if if that's you I would love to pray with you this morning um and miss um miss Anna has a word of knowledge that she wants to give so I'll be down here if anybody needs prayer. But I, I know the only way to get freedom is to shine the light. And so uh, Deuteronomy 28 verse 2 does say, And all these blessings shall come upon me and overtake me, if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. So there should not be any jealousy, by the way. But what I felt like the Lord was saying was, when we were singing about the blood of Jesus, Mark 11, 24 kept coming to me. Because, you know, it says, first of all, that his fame was known and what were we doing we were lifting up the name of jesus right and then what happened after that it said that there was healing of diseases and um and also of sicknesses and also of those that were tormented and the lunatic do you know that when you are hitting a very hard severe trial you get tormented oppressive tormenting takes place and the lord must deliver you because the blood of jesus has already paid it all jesus said and what else does it say? It says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. So just receive. Receive that oppressive spirit to go. Receive his blessing. Receive the blood of Jesus to, to deliver us. And that's what I feel like the Lord is saying. I mean, he can save every person, every jail cell in our every county in the name of Jesus, you know? Yeah, so let's pray into that. If you have a physical um, pain in your body or sickness, would you just lift your hand? We want to pray for healing right now. Strife has a lot to do with the sickness that's on people. In Mexico, 
I can't explain how many people, when we walk them through unforgiveness, they receive healing. For some of you, God is identifying people you need to forgive and things you need to let go of. And you need to verbally say, I release that person. I forgive them. God, give me grace to receive. I don't believe that God puts sickness on anyone. But I believe that we give the enemy foothold as we hold on to those things in our life. So as she prays, let's just receive and let's let those things go. So again, let's lift up our hands if you need healing. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you for the stripes that you took for our healing, God. And we declare the word of the Lord right now that by your stripes we were healed, God. And we just declare right now in the name of Jesus that you receive the reward of your suffering, God. So I speak to sickness and I tell it to leave now in Jesus' name. Spirit of infirmities, go now in Jesus' name. Pain goes now in Jesus' name. Misalignment in backs, it goes now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you for grace to forgive right now. God, we let go of bitterness. God, we let go of unforgiveness. God, we forgive those who have hurt us, God, just as you forgave us, Lord, when we were not deserving, Father. God, we let go of offense now in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we walk out of jealousy, Lord. We, we break agreement with jealousy now in Jesus' name. God, receive your reward, Jesus. Receive your reward, Jesus. God, I speak to diabetes and I tell it to go now in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that you're healing, ringing in ears now in Jesus' name, that deaf ears are opening. God, I thank you that pain in the left side of the body is going now in Jesus' name. God, we speak to lupus. We speak to lupus and we say, go in Jesus' name. God, we take authority because you took stripes on your back for lupus authority in the name of Jesus and I speak to every person who is being tormented by demonic spirits and we say freedom now in Jesus name freedom now in Jesus name the blood of the lamb we declare the blood of the lamb in this place in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus
Bible tells us he described himself as gentle and kind. So we want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be gentle and kind. So as you're removing offense and bitterness, oh, as you're uprooting offense and bitterness, Jesus, let us be like you and be gentle and kind.
bless every person here, God, with strength, joy, hope, and peace. Let as they go today, God, that they would know that they are in the hands of the master sower. You sow, you give life, you bring increase. So we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you with our children. We trust you with our ministries, with our lives, with our finances. With every part of who we are, we trust you. Welcome to Linger. We love you. We'll see you in prayer room this week. If not, we'll see you next Sunday. Give somebody a hug. Tell them you love them.